Hi, I'm Dave. Hi, I'm Manu. This is It Came from the Newsstand, a podcast about comics, cards, collectibles, original art, comic conventions, comic stores, shopping malls, and a vibe of nostalgia that brings you back to when you were collecting as a kid from the perspective of two collectors who were also sellers. That's the two of us. Agreed. That's perfect. And I actually love it being sort of wrapped up like that because it is a podcast about all of those things. And someone listening might be like, so what's your focus? Well, the focus is any and everything that brings you back to being a kid, to feeling like a kid collecting just because you want stuff. Plus, we also keep it current with what's going on in our lives. And speaking of current, friends, I just want to remind you that we have an Instagram. It came from the newsstand. Come say hi to us over there. We're pretty friendly. Yeah. Hey, it's been nice over there lately, though. You know, friends have been dropping their opinions and thoughts and stuff. And I kind of like that as like um, the message board for the podcast, if you will. Yeah. And shit, I remember when I started going on message boards, they were called BBS, Bulletin Board Systems. Uh, When the Internet first started in, you know, the 90s, uh, we had a Commodore 64 with a modem and we had access to the Internet pretty quickly. Me and my brother, that is. Not uh, me and some phantom person. I'm actually speaking about my brother. I definitely don't remember them being called BBS, but I do remember the era of forums and message. Like, that's the names I remember, a yeah. message board or a forum. Yeah, it quickly, it quickly turned into that. And, you know, BBS, bulletin board systems, not to be confused with BBWs, which are big, beautiful women. <laughs> Comic books, am I right? <laughs> Come on. It's only a matter of time before. Actually, I don't know where that's going. Now that I've ruined this podcast, ha! You can. Wow. Well, okay. Who is your favorite? Who is your favorite Street Fighter character? Yeah. So I think my favorite Street Fighter character, and I, it's a shame because I probably don't even remember them all. Um, I'm probably just gonna go with Blanca. There we go. Big, green, and electric. Name some of the characters for me. Let me see who I'm missing. Guile, Ryu, Ken, Chun Li, Blanca, Dalsim, Zangief, and E Honda. Man, I like Blanca and Chun Li. Okay. Yeah, I was a Blanca was dope. Blanca and Chung Lee was dope. Yeah, uh, I I would say Guile was my favorite because I loved hearing Sonic Boom, Sonic Boom. Yeah, but uh, yeah. Blanca and then Chun Lee, those were probably my three favorite. I was just curious, you know. Yeah, it was a cool game, yeah. but the nostalgia of that era means more to me now than the game did then. Yeah, that was like the the. Our era for 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 arcade games, you know, everybody's yeah. got an era that they played arcade games, and I I don't know if people consider that still a big thing. Although arcades have come back, so you know what's old is new again. You know how it works. Vintage, retro, yeah. Thank you for listening. This is our seventeenth episode. Last week, we hope you enjoyed it. It was a little uh, honest uh, therapy session between two friends, and uh, we mm-hmm. will not put you through that again this week before we even catch up on anything i think we should talk about what we talked about earlier today which was and i i i, had, I was talking Manu on the phone and we were talking about how we're going to record tonight and i i said to him that i had made some notes and it was just something i was thinking about as i left my house today it, it was uh asking why what draws you to to the luster of the newsstand mm. and, and and the 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 newsstand and when we speak about that i don't mean the physical newsstand you know i'm yeah. talking about the barcoded comics yeah. that are the premium i guess we could call them of the of the comic collecting market these days but yeah 
I, I wanted to talk about what, as a we and a collective mm-hmm. we in the in the community, mm-hmm. uh, why we're drawn to newsstands, why they're more expensive, and why they're considered worth they're worth more. And then I wanted to know personally, we can talk about what draws us to them or does it draw us to them? Sure, I love that conversation, and I'm going to have a great time through this entire episode expressing different elements of how I feel about them. So even if I, even if this is the beginning of my expression, I might add to this later. Mm-hmm. Everyone collects differently and for different reasons and some people for multiple reasons. There are things that I remember from when I was young and I just want those, but those are attainable, right? If I just wanted a 316, because that's a book that I remember and I want that cover to be in my short box so it can be a part of a run or just so I can have something that I love, well, that's attainable. You can go get a 316 for 70 bucks on eBay any day. Mm-hmm. Direct, beat up newsstand, doesn't matter. If it's just the thing that you remember that you want, you can get that. Well, that would stop being, a, and not an experiment, but that would stop being a journey quite quickly for me. Sure, there are some books that no matter the condition, no matter the distribution, they're nearly impossible to get, but those have become rare for different reasons because they might be from 1962, for example, mm-hmm. you know? And no matter what grade it is, it's rare. And so when something is easily attainable, well, it's not that exciting to me. And I can check that off the list quite easily, which makes it not as involved or as engaging a collecting experience. I've always been the sort of person that looks for the rarest of, the finest of, the hardest to get. And so naturally, for the things that I like in the 80s and 90s, Well, the rarest version is, if we're talking about 9.8 collecting or just high grade collecting in general, the higher grades are tougher in newsstands than they are in directs for all of those reasons that we described because of the distribution of the newsstand. So I love that. And the newsstand to me has a different story. It has a different emotion. And I've, I've described it before, but it's very simple. Back in the day, if you had your pick, you were going to pick the art box that had art in it because that's so much cooler. It's art. And that's not lost on me. You know, a lot of books, I want both. 316, for example. That corner art box with that McFarland Venom, come on. It's amazing. And so back then, those were the ones that were more collected, more coveted. And as a result of that, that means newsstands were rather neglected. They were the ones that were like second on the list, you know? Yeah. And combine that with the fact that the distribution of those were in less careful environments that's the reason that I love them now. They're the ones that survived being neglected and unloved. And for that very reason, they're harder to find in high grade. The emphasis is on high grade. If you give me two trashed copies of a book that are readily available with barcodes or without, it doesn't matter. I don't care which one it is. But I'm not a trashed copy collector of relative, of, of, of easily acquirable things, right? If there's a thousand of that thing, I want that that 1,001 of it, you know, the one that there aren't a thousand of it. I'm doing a poor job yeah. of describing what I, but, but that's what it is. It's a heightened search. It's a heightened rarity. It's a layer of rarity. Yeah. Doesn't take away from the direct. Love that thing. You know, I say, obviously people know this, I'm a high-grade snob. It's not just because I like things to be clean. If a thousand, if all of them are clean, well, then it equally doesn't matter. I'm a high-grade snob because it's harder to get a high-grade than the other thing. What I'm actually after is the hardest-to-get version of something I love. Those are the two elements that I'm combining when I make a decision of 
what I prefer. Just speaking to the the whole Todd McFarlane Amazing Spider-Man run, and for the maybe one or two people that don't know what I'm talking about, I'll explain it. Uh, the the corner box, and I and I don't mean the top corner box. I mean the bottom corner box, which would either be a barcode for a newsstand or a Marvel logo or whatever it is, mm-hmm. uh, if it's a direct. For Todd Todd McFarlane's Amazing Spider-Man run, he decided he didn't want that corner box to go to waste, so he started doing the art for it. And I want to say it was maybe 302 was the first one that has the art. Because it wasn't 298, 299, or 300, I don't believe. And I don't think it was 301, but whatever. He, to my knowledge, is the only artist to ever really own those corner boxes. When I was younger, I didn't even think to collect newsstands or even that the newsstands were a thing. I just knew that he did the corner box art and I wanted every single one of those to see what he was drawing in there. Absolutely right. And for that reason... They were, you know, a little set aside, a little yeah, not cared for, you know. Um, and, and, and even if it wasn't original box art, like even if it wasn't artist-created box art, mm-hmm. it was still a better look to have a symbiote suit Spider-Man face silhouette than it was a bunch of lines, 100%. right? 100%. You know, now the lines have a different charm to them because we recognize it as a newsstand and we love the, you know, the story and the narrative of the newsstand. And so we can... We can see that now when we look at the barcodes as, oh, that's what it represents. But historically, yeah, um, a bank of lines is uh, less good looking than a Spider-Man silhouette, right? Yeah. And yeah. so, so that, I mean, that's, that's kind of it in a nutshell. It's, they're harder to get in high grade. And that's what I love. Like, I want to be challenged. I think there's something that you're not taking into account also. That, Tell me. That's in there. It's in there, whether you know it or not. What? Newsstands have become charming for us collectors for another reason. The newsstand hasn't existed in 20 years. Oh, that. Oh, no. Yeah. This is just the beginning of my expressing why I would like, you know, why I hunt like a 316 newsstand over a direct. Right. Yeah. But yeah, if you take if you take that step, if you get into the, the 2000s and all of that, well, then the argument about a newsstand is very easy to make. It's literally 2% of the distribution. No, what I mean is we talk about emotion tied to nostalgia. Like there's a piece of us that all want newsstands because we all want to own a piece of that newsstand that we used to go to, whether it was Walden Books, whether it was Barnes Tower and Records, Nobles, baby. yeah, whether it was Barnes and Nobles, the grocery store, the pharmacy, the stationery store, whether anybody knows it, it's sitting there in our subconscious. Like seeing that barcode is automatically bringing us back to a place where we used to get comics maybe not on the regular like we've talked about our experiences with our our local comic stores but shit when we were in the the mall and you'd pass by a barnes and noble or b dalton or walden books you run in there and go see what comics they have you look at the fangoria magazines or the sport sports illustrated or mad or you know the playboy if they don't spot us looking at it you know whatever it is but there's a piece of that when i see that barcode it does something to me that I, I don't, this is the first time I'm putting it into words, but I could tell you about the Walt Whitman Mall that I used to go to and then work at and the Tower Records I used to go to after high school or even cut high school and go and pick up comics and, and get them from there. And then it comes into play what you were just saying. Those books didn't come with bags and boards. They mm-hmm. got put into maybe a bag and hopefully you could keep it flat. And hopefully it makes the journey home in the condition that, that it was when you, you 
picked it up off the shelf. Yeah. You know, hopefully I, the person at the register appreciates the fact that maybe this is a condition sensitive item because you yeah. got you're just sitting there kind of like, oh, gosh, what are they doing with it? You know, and <laughs> yeah, I mean, j- just just a funny aside that has to do with this. Those um, Miles Morales UK number ones that I bought at Heathrow Airport in July. Mm-hmm. I had to find a way to get those into uh, across the globe without fucking them up. There were You're no a talented man. Yeah. And how about this? I have one at CGC right now. I'm hoping to bang the first nine eight out. Uh, so you have one of the you have one of the UK Ultimate Fallouts or Miles Morales books at CGC, and if it gets a nine eight, it's going to be the first one on the census. Yeah, I wasn't able to find anything on the census with those. I think you're going to do it. Good luck. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there, there's the piece of that. And, you know, for my part, and I said this to Manu earlier today on the phone, but for my part, as a collector, as a collector, I don't care about newsstands. And I can understand that. Yeah, they, they don't. As a collector, as a seller, I completely understand. I respect them. I understand. I not just respect them. I agree with everything you know, and the rarity factor, the condition factor. You know, I was thinking about this while you were talking. I want to paint a little picture. It's May of 1992. Spawn One comes out on the newsstand as well as the direct market. You're a commuter and you're taking the train from Deer Park, Long Island, into Manhattan, Penn Station for your daily commute. It's Tuesday. I think that's when books came out back then. Maybe it was Friday. Either way. You get off the Long Island Railroad, you start walking up the stairs to get into Penn Station, and you go to uh, Hudson Booksellers, and there's a brand new copy of Spawn 1, just came out, you're a big Todd McFarlane fan, and you pick one up, and you're like, ah, yes, and you know what, it's during the speculator boom, so you pick two up, ah, fuck it, you pick five of them up. You don't even care, you're just like, I don't know if this is going to be sold out at my local comic book store this week, so let me grab it. You get the little plastic bag that they would give you and then put it in there. And let's say you bought, I don't know, a couple of candy bars and a bottle of soda. And you all throw it all in the bag. But you like try to keep it separate, you know, because you, 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 you really care about these comics. And you go up the stairs and you walk and it's windy because you come out of Penn Station and 6th a- and, and, and it, 7th Avenue or 6th Avenue. And it, the wind hits you like a goddamn hammer. And the bag goes flying, you know. And you're still holding on to it, but the bag's flopping around. Mm-hmm. You get to your office, you put it down. You know, you go about your day, that bag gets shuffled around because you have to do a lot of stuff in your office and it's time to go home and you there's no more candy bars or bottles of soda, it's just the comics. You take that bag and you kinda like fold over the top nicely and try and make it like, you know, so that you just can hold the comics and you put it's it in an your envelope brief- now. Yeah. Well you put it in your briefcase because you think it's gonna be safe in there. You get home. After a long day, and then you forget, you throw your suitcase down, you throw your briefcase down. What I'm trying to paint is a picture of the fact that when people were buying stuff off the newsstand, like you said, nobody was able to just like buy these things off the newsstand sometimes and then put them in bags and boards. This is what we're saying. Yeah. So so that 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 picture I'm painting is like that's a representative of all of the kind of major newsstands in these cities that you would find – you know, you, you're not just going to buy the book and then like running right home with it and putting it in a bag and board. So there is something really to be said about these were like 
soldiers going to war on the newsstand. And like if they came home unscathed and if you're able to nine eight one, how? You know, like you almost think like how did they survive the shelf or they spin a rack or whatever? Exactly right. And let's add another layer to that. When the newsstand distributed books didn't sell, they got the covers ripped off of them and the covers were shipped back to save on shipping costs so that the stores could be reimbursed for the unsold copies. Yeah. Whereas at a comic book store, if it didn't sell, it just got put into a back bin. Yeah. Yeah. So less newsstand copies survived. That being said, in the you know newsstand uh, direct market starts in 79 or the, the direct market comics start in 79. Uh, in the early Dazzler 80s, one, whatever that yeah, issue was. Yeah. yeah. In in the early eighties, you probably had newsstand distribution, you know, nine to one. And then, you know, probably towards the mid eighties, like around Secret Wars, that's when the paradigm shift, like eighty four, eighty five, and then eighty six, because eighty six is when the direct market took over. So mm-hmm. in nineteen eighty six, that's when the direct market saw more sales than the newsstand than the newsstands. But even so, like, I can't imagine how many books just got straight up, right, cover torn off and destroyed. Right. And, you know, when people like to ask, well, how do you know? Well, the how do you know is super easy for a lot of things. Like, I use ASM 300 as an example. Mm. Go to eBay, search for 9.8s, and see how many of them are newsstands, how many of them are directs. There you go. Do 9.6s, do 9.4s. Every single grade until you get into, you know eight fives and things Mm -hmm. there are far more directs than there are newsstands that doesn't mean people aren't selling their newsstands it doesn't mean that it that's that's how they exist that is the ratio represented um in a very large marketplace of people trying to sell books you know so i think the proof is in the pudding but i do want to get back to when you said you know as a collector you don't care now i get that because i think I've made some assumptions about you as a collector, but I don't want it to just stop as an assumption and we don't discuss it. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about what that means to you. Because earlier when I was expressing myself, I said it depends on how you collect. And some people collect a variety of ways. Sure. My assumption, and I'll keep that brief because I want you to elaborate, is that you very much want the item. The item is satisfying a goal. And that doesn't mean it has to be dressed a certain way. It is what it is. Um, but now I want you to elaborate on as what kind of collector you are and what that means. Well, so I identify with what you said about rarity and there's a piece of my collection where I, I go that route, but in general, no, it, it, it like with the, you know, with, with the McFarlane stuff. So I collect all McFarlane, you know, I'm trying to get every piece of published art that ever existed in a, a comic or a magazine of his. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I have a Spawn 1 newsstand because it was gifted to me. And, I, you know, my, my ASM 300 was a new, is a newsstand, the one that's been in my PC forever, because it just happened to be the one that I purchased when, you know, I was whatever, however many years old. But, no, I to me, it's just about having the book. Uh, the grade sometimes is inconsequential. You know, I the older the book, the less I give a shit about the grade. Mm-hmm. Uh the rarity thing, though, I, I like rare things. I've always collected rare things. I mean, when I was a, you know, when I was an autograph collector, an in-person autograph collector, I was always trying to find stuff to get signed that was not your typical thing. 
And when I was collecting hockey memorabilia, it was all about collecting game used items because they are harder to get. Uh, but when I really started to dive in further into comics and start buying stuff that was new to me as a collector, the one thing that really stuck out to me was the, the, the uniqueness and the rarity of Mark Jeweler variants. Yes. And so that became a thing. And I only learned, like most people, and, and the reason why, and I'll, I'll step out of myself for a second, the reason why the newsstand thing is interesting to me as a whole, and I wanted to talk about it, is because it's fairly new as a, 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 in the collecting sphere. As an accepted notion of, you know, real collecting. And it's because we all look for what, we, we all look to increase, we're all trying to make the things we collect last longer. And how do we do that? We quote unquote invent new things to collect within that that sphere, right? I just call it raising the level of difficulty. But yeah. Yeah, yeah no. And that's that's a simpler way to say it and a better way to say it. Um, so over the course of the last five years, the newsstand thing I think got a little more uh, traction even 10 years ago. But over the last five years you've seen the rise of interest in it and then mark jewelers and we've talked about it so many times but for anybody that might be hearing this for the first time simplest way to say it mark jewelers were comics that were sold on military bases through military newsstands that had a insert an advertisement color insert in the center of the book advertising for a company selling cheapish jewelry specifically for military service members. The name of that company was called Mark Jewelers. Uh, before it, it was Diamond, uh, National Diamonds or something like that. What, but when you say that, was National, any of the other jewelry ads, were they also the same deal, exclusive to military yes. bases? Yes, mm. yeah. I oh, I don't have a way of confirming this. If somebody does, you could always message us. But I believe that National Diamond was either mark jewelers before they were mark jewelers or there there is some relation to the two. Oh, that'd be an interesting thing to find out but what we do know is our mcfarlane run is not with both that's it's correct mark jewelers yeah the national diamond stuff was only in like the late 60s i think early 70s mm. um so that is what mark jewelers are now living in uh, washington for the last nine years of my life i am sandwiched uh, in the Seattle Tacoma area by every major military base that exists. There's Air Force, Navy, uh, Marines, there's Army, they're all here. So this area, and I, I don't have any way of confirming this, but this area may have been one of the production areas or one of the main areas that Mark Jewelers got shipped to because I have found collections with full long boxes of them. Wow. Yeah. And you can watch that stuff on my YouTube channel. And you should. You should. So when I started getting them and somebody, I, I don't even remember, I want to say it's Dave or, or, or Matt or one of my friends that was in this group chat of comic friends talking about Mark Jewelers. And I started to kind of look for them and I started to realize how to look for them. And I started to realize that I was getting a lot of them and they were very easy to find for me. And so... I decided that I was going to try and obtain every McFarlane book that has a Mark Jewelers insert 
to kind of... And again, you're... Sorry, but I wanted to... You're talking about just attaining, just saying, I've checked this copy off my list yeah. with the jeweler's insert. You're not talking about finding a nine, a near mint plus candidate. No, no, because that that becomes a search that I don't have the interest in because it costs me more money. If I oh, find yeah. one naturally, that's high grade. Oh, then fantastic. Then yeah, exactly. Fantastic. But And the reason it costs more money is directly correlated with the idea. Well, not the idea, the fact that it is damn rare. I would put, you know, double, triple, quadruple covers aside, the the anomaly of the that type of right. thing. Yeah. I would put a Mark Jeweler, yeah, as the rarest of a book uh, in a 9.8, except maybe the Star Wars 1 or Iron Fist 14 uh, price variant. Because there's mm. so few of those right. in existence. Right. And you don't have to, we don't have to make the, we don't have to say no. that can be fine. There are versions of books that are far rarer because of other things that sure. have made them that way. Right. Yeah. Certain errors in certain books, regardless of direct or not, are rare in any grade. Yeah. But the Mark Jeweler thing became interesting to me because of the area I live in. I don't mm. think I would have ever, if I was still in the East Coast, I don't think I would care because it wouldn't just be something that I could go out and hunt for like i can go to any of the stores in washington dig through their bins and probably find multiple mark jewelers that are not priced because they're mark jewelers yeah well i know i shared this with you on the phone but i have it on the podcast and so i will all of this started for me three years ago newsstands and mark jewelers mm-hmm. prior to that i was still on my hiatus from collecting you know the pandemic brought me back to my inner passion right just doing things because i wanted to and yeah, I pulled that 316 out of my short box. It happened to be a newsstand. I must have bought it at a local show or something like that, or maybe off of the wall at a comic book store. I don't remember the acquisition of the book, but I do remember when I was researching it, that's when I realized, oh my gosh, there are newsstands and there are direct editions. There's third-party grading. Oh my gosh, the newsstands cost more than the direct editions. And it all spoke to me. I love learning things like that. I love yeah. figuring out things like that. Whatever the harder one is, is the one that I'm going to pursue. I want to challenge myself in that way. And I want to be the guy that gets it done. Like, I like that, right? And so then I found out about Mark Jewelers. And, and that just increases, like, the level of difficulty exponentially. We're talking about, you know, and this is, for most of our audience, they know that, but, like, every Mark Jewelers is a newsstand. Dave already said it was military-based newsstands. Mm-hmm. So they were barcoded books. And so you have your direct editions, you have your barcoded versions, then you have your barcoded versions with the insert. They were on military basis, for goodness sakes. Like, imagine how difficult it was for those to survive in high grade. And so, obviously... I was passionate about them from the beginning because I loved that story. And it, it all started for me three years ago. I learned about all of that stuff at the same time. And then some friends educated me. Like, I didn't start my journey knowing that all Mark Jewelers were newsstands. It was one beautiful DM that I got from Taj, Epic Comicology, our friend, before he became a really good friend. This is the beginning of our relationship. We were already friends. We were chit-chatting about, like, you know, similar things. But one day he sent me a picture of a 316 Mark Jewelers. And he said, look what I just got. And he said, I should let you know. All Mark Jewelers are newsstands because we. this is three years ago on Instagram was a very interesting time where a lot of collectors were enthusiastically sharing what seemingly was new bits of information. The Instagram community was like its own collecting community yeah. that developed its own style of sharing and trading and, and showcasing. You know, there were like old school collectors that had message boards or, you know, they would meet up 
whatever. It Instagram was, the birth, was like it the, was the birth of of something new. It was because it led to the whatnots and the everythings. And I'm I'm saying for better or worse, mm-hmm. it was the birth of like this more engaging, real time digital environment of collecting, gathering, and sharing. Yeah. Uh, it was cool, man. And, and we were all just trading information. And still till this day, you know, people, someone will post um, a Mark Jewelers and they'll leave a comment. And, you know, other people will leave a comment. They'll be like, oh, shoot, it's a Mark Jewelers and it's a newsstand, double whammy. And then, you, you know, you're like, well, they all are. But I hear what you're saying because, yes, you know, but there is no such thing as a direct edition with the Mark Jewelers. Um, so anyway, sorry. Yes. So you mentioned the military newsstands and, you know, we forgot to kind of throw in another piece of that pie is that some of those books weren't just purchased in military newsstands. Some of those books were purchased at military newsstands in other countries Mm -hmm. and they came back. And that's Mm -hmm. the crazy thing. You want to talk about like I used the metaphor before, like, you know, like a a newsstand books like a soldier that's going to war and maybe hopefully he comes back unscathed but it's unlikely the mark jewelers is, is that. a soldier yeah and and you know a, a lot of our friends in the community uh are uh, military or former military service members and you know mm-hmm. i always ask my military friends like do you know anybody that was you know in the military 30 years ago that was buying this stuff you know during I don't know, like opera. I guess uh, Desert Storm would have been towards the end of the Mark Jewelers, but you know, I think the tail end of Vietnam is when Mark Jeweler variants started. But it's still crazy to think that like a guy who's over there, you know, stationed in Germany or stationed in Vietnam or stationed, you know, wherever, and they buy, a, you know, a Green Lantern issue, Green Lantern eighty six or something, whatever it is, and and they put yeah. it in their Footlocker. And they come home from war two years later or they come home and they're, you know, no longer, you know, stationed there. And that book comes home with them. And it's like, whoa, you know, like that thing has seen some shit because they didn't have bags and boards, you know. Yeah. And so could you imagine finding like a a 1960s or an early 1970s Mark Schuller in a 9-8? Like that shouldn't exist. Yeah, it's crazy. But the way that you describe that, you know, it's why collecting it in any grade is cool because that emotion is on that book regardless. Look what that that book represents, that history, right? And if you want to be a snob about it and you want to have the thing to be like, I got, you know, well, then, yeah, try to find the high grade one. What do you know about the ones with the stamps on them? So I have heard from multiple sources different things, uh, but there was supposedly it was confirmed that it was like a receipt. You know, like if you bought it, it was a receipt of purchase so that, you know, nobody thought that you stole it, which really doesn't make sense to me. But apparently it's been said by multiple former service members. Okay, I mean, I don't. Yeah. Okay. I just didn't know. And I've never I don't stumble upon Mark Jewelers with the stamp. Yeah, I do a lot. <laughs> and they're usually on the back, right? The stamp no, front corner box, oh. close to the corner box, at least. That means I've never had one with the stamp. Yeah, I think I'm telling you, and I, I have no way to confirm this, but I, from just kind of common sense deductions, I'm almost going to guess that the highest concentration of Mark Jeweler variants that were sent, sold, whatever, to the military are out of the Northwest. Interesting. You know, I have, I have a short box that's half full now because I sold through them. But then at Rose City Comic Con that, you know, two weeks ago, 
I bought an entire run of Amazing Spider-Man, like 301 through 344, all Mark That's Jewelers. Right. Uh, yeah. I've already started, like, we have a friend, Danger Room Comics. He's a German guy. Yeah, he's a great dude. He's a somewhat of an expert on Mark Jewelers, at least the older stuff. I didn't, I just learned from him that, like, some Dell or Gold Key books had Mark Jeweler inserts. He's about his Mark Jeweler yeah. stuff. Yeah, great guy. So that's cool. What other what I I've talked to him and like what most people don't know is like the tail end of it when they ended Amazing Spider-Man 349, the last Amazing Spider-Man book with a Mark Jeweler. Darkhawk 1 and Sleepwalker 1 both have Mark Jeweler variants. A Darkhawk, I'm telling you this, and no jokes, but real joke, but joke, not joke. If someone was to 9-8 a Darkhawk Mark Jeweler, number one, it'd probably be one of the most sought-after books to exist in a Mark Jeweler. I know there's a running joke about Dark Hawk. <laughs> not Dark and, Hawk. Um, but I don't... What it, is it just because the book is completely everywhere and it's not... Wor- is it like the Turok thing? It's it's better than Turok. It, when... Uh, I want to say it was 1990 or 1991. Darkhawk debuted. And it was like the first new superhero that they had debuted in a bit. And it was like the height of the speculator boom or the beginning of the speculator boom. And it was a cool character. He looked cool. It was a cool book. And like people thought it was going to be worth money. It wasn't. People thought the character was going to last. He didn't. Uh, And then I think it just kind of became a joke because everybody that's our age has had that book but yeah. to be honest with you i fucking love that book sure um so what's a nine eight direct what's like an 80 dollar book yeah at this point maybe it's like an 80 dollar book or so i'm just having a fun experience experiment here and there's new stands of it yes so a nine eight newsstand maybe a 200 dollar book ah uh, yeah maybe a little bit more arbitrary numbers but if the nine eight mark jewelers came out and you're saying it would be heavily sought after, what do you think the value of it would be? What price would someone pay? Okay, so going back to like our episode about the Venom art, yeah, and how something that's cool that people, a couple people find it to be cool, could hype up the price to a crazy amount. I almost would bet. I can't. I can't say for sure. I would say that book would be a five thousand dollar book if it if you smoking, maybe. I'm not kidding you, dude. Hey, the if, hype... if you've never seen one, if it's not out there, because how could it not be out there though? Such a heavily printed book, and you know, I'm getting nine eights and some of the rare stuff in Mark Jewelers. So how could the Dark Hawk not have a nine eight Mark Jewelers already out there? I, it may, but I I only know it exists. I saw it once on eBay. A nine eight Mark Jewelers? No, no, no. Oh, just oh, a Mark, Mark Jewelers. Got you. I actually don't have strong proof that it exists from like me having one. I did own a Sleepwalker number one Mark Jewelers, so I know that exists. But I saw an auction once or a buy it now. It was very expensive. It was like eight hundred dollars. But you saw a, it. You saw yeah. it was listed as a Mark Jewelers. You saw the picture that showed it, so you know yep. there is one. Yeah. All right. So you know what we got to do, right? We got to find one. No, we need a double cover 9-8 Mark Jewelers. Oh, and dude, that would be 10. That look, would be 10 grand. And I'm not even going to stop at... Here's here's the thing I don't like about double covers. I love double cover. You just recently found one. Congrats. Yesterday. That's dope. That's amazing. I've never yeah. accidentally... I don't have... I've never had it. I've never held... I've never had a double cover. So they've never come to me in any way. Mm. But what I don't like about double covers is kind of a good thing, but I don't like it. 
they grade both covers and yeah. on the label you get whatever the highest grade is so if your top yeah. covers a 92 but your bottom covers a 96 you get a 96 i don't i care I, that's great but i always look at what both covers are and when i'm talking about 980ing a double cover i'm talking about a double 980 double, double nine cover eight. yeah yeah well and and for anybody that once again that doesn't know double cover just means that it's a manufacturer defect and two covers were put on two of the same covers were put on one book um I don't know if it's been confirmed, but uh, from my experience, Golden Age books have them more common than than not. Okay. I've gotten two double cover Golden Age books. One Bronze Age book. No, two Bronze Age books. Dude, there's quadruple yeah. covers. There's five covers. Well, there's there's the, six covers. Like, what the yeah, hell? It's, it's crazy. And that, you know, not to get away from the point of talking about the newsstand. Yeah. But it, it is just interesting when these manufacturing defects uh you know it's like um as opposed to like being manufactured with one staple which people get annoyed at including myself the uh double cover manufacturing error is a you know collect go collect two hundred dollars you know bank error in your favor um i know you said not to get too far away from the newsstand but this episode is not just about newsstands this episode is really about collecting to have an item you love And then the extension of, or, you know, adding on to that, if you choose to, the rarest form of an item, right? And everything in between. But I've never had that spawn one error cover where it's print, the registration is off, where it's like a completely different look. It almost looks like a 3D book. Yeah. Is there a newsstand of the registration error? I doubt it because they probably caught that registration error so quick that they wouldn't have switched plates. You know, because the newsstand is just a different plate. And if we find out otherwise, we'll bring it up on a different episode. But I can't, I I don't remember seeing one. Um, That book's so rare anyway. Yeah. Coolest error I ever got, and I have it in one of my boxes in in my PC, um, was a, it's a Batman book. I can't remember what number it is, but the pages weren't cut. So what is it? So they, oh, they were so all just, together. You, just you, o- you can't it. open it. Like you could open the cover and then all the pages are uncut. And like, it's basically would be like, you'd have to fold out the entire book. That's and so take cool. it out of the staples. Yeah. It's pretty cool manufacturing error. Uh, but, um, you know, stuff like that. It's funny when you talk about collecting different versions or errors or stuff, that was a big thing and still is in, in trading cards. Yeah. You know, the error thing. That went the way of the dinosaur because I I don't think there is sought after or maybe they are, I don't I don't know what's going on in trading cards anymore. Whether um, it's sport cards, it's a little it's if you if you talk about Pokemon errors yeah. are huge. Okay, huge premiums. Um, and I I had a crash course with the first Charizard card I sold, which I'm not yeah. a Pokemon expert, but you know once you get to doing some research, you learn a couple of things. Of course, and um. It was raw, and I sold it for $1,100, and I couldn't believe it, and apparently I left a lot of money on the table because this was during the height, and I could have just graded it and got a couple thousand more if it it was a nice card, but um, it was so fun because I I found out about these errors. It had a hollow shift, and that was just like the foily holographic part of the top image was not printed perfectly in the square, so you can see a non-holographic line below it, so that's a hollow shift. And then there was a black dot down at the bottom by the copyright by the word Nintendo. And that was the black dot error. So I had ah. this double error Charizard and uh, it Shit. sold immediately on eBay after one 
one individual that realized I didn't know squat was like, you're stupid, bro. No one's going to pay you for that. That don't matter. And immediately after I just told him, okay, someone bought it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you should have you should have messaged him and been like, you fucking moron. I you left his stupid it. ass alone. The fact that the listing disappeared was the universe calling him a fucking moron. <laughs> you know, that is kind of interesting. And we touched on it. And it's kind of the basis of this. It's like we're all trying to collect stuff and it's very easy to buy that one thing that you want. So we look for obstacles, you know, right? Like leveling up yeah. the difficulty level. We try and find the weirdest version of that. And do you know, I, I don't, this was before I knew you, uh, maybe like a year and a half or two years ago. It was probably about a year and a half ago, maybe two. I did an all Mark Jewelers sale on whatnot. It was actually like one of my last regular whatnot shows that I did. And I had bought this lot of uh, Amazing Spider-Man Mark Jewelers from Maddie, And they were consignment that he was selling for somebody else. And I got them all dirt fucking cheap. Okay. This was before anybody really cared the way they care the last six months to a year, Mark Jewelers. I'd say, I'd say two and a half years. It's been escalating. Yeah, there's a lot of people in the last six months to a year that did not care that care now. Cool. I actually think that's really cool to know because that means it's just the beginning. Because I was, not to get off on a tangent here, our paths didn't cross until whatever year and change ago. Yeah, I people were calling me the Mark Jeweler King like two years ago. Sweet, because all I was doing was like posting videos and be like, "Here's all the Mark Jewelers that I found in this one collection." Yeah. And then there was literally one that I bought that like three quarters of the long box was Mark Jewelers. But anyway, I digress. No, I love that. I, the one thing I will like, I don't mind ta- being very bo- like very confident in talking about how. Everybody knows that I find Mark Jewelers like I'm a truffle pig, you know, for Mark Jewelers. I love it. So Maddie had sold me this one lot, and one of the books in there was the third appearance of Hobgoblin or second appearance of Hobgoblin. Can't remember. I think it was the second. It was a double Mark Jeweler insert. What? Let that sink in. It was a double Mark Jeweler insert. We're not talking a double cover with the Mark Jewelers insert. There were two, we're two inserts. Yes, stapled in there. Something just happened to me. Yeah. I sold it for $300. Congrats. That's amazing. It was like a 7 to an 8 But I put that thing as my last. It was the, the centerpiece of the whatnot auction. I was like, the last thing I'm auctioning tonight is going to be this. Second appearance of Hobgoblin, double Mark Jeweler insert. I've never seen one before, and I may never see one again. And yeah, it sold for like two seventy nine or something like that, two eighty nine. I love it. It's just about rarity. I love yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and it's 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 so funny because like the only reason anyone ever had before there was third party grading before there was a maybe there was a number grading system, but I'm just I remember you know near mint, very fine, very good yeah. stuff like that, right? But even that is to identify the nicer copy because the nicer copy is rarer than the less nice copy it's still about scarcity you know if a shitted on copy was the rare one well then that would be the more valuable one you know it's it's just about it's it's just that notion that practice oh i had a note for the show that kind of makes a really interesting point about that yeah where's the note uh the note well so the higher the grade the less beat up it is yeah makes it more sought after, more valuable. Yeah. And we've, I've talked about it in certain aspects of my 
former Collecting Life and Hockey memorabilia. Mm-hmm. The opposite goes for game used equipment. The more beat the, it is, the more the worn more it beat is. up a jersey is, the more marks that are on a hockey jersey, the more people want it. Yeah, and the but, more like, oh sorry, no no please please please. Oh, and then with game used stick, it's it then it goes the opposite way. You want some use on it. But if that stick's broken, it's less sought after, you know, because hockey sticks, especially when they used to use all wood, would break a lot. And those guys would give those sticks away because they were broken. They can't use them. You know, blades cracked. This is cracked. But with jerseys and gloves and helmets and uh, goalie pads, the more visible wear on them, the more people want them. It's more of that player on that item. Yeah. But the more a comic book is read, the less people want well, that's, to own cause that's, it. Well, that's because it's more of some sweaty little teenager on the comic book, <laughs> not Wayne Gretzky, you know? Yeah, like, yeah. No, I, I totally get it. But, right? like, what about this, though? I think point fives are cool if that's where you're going with this. No. What if, what if you've got a book from Stanley's personal collection mm-hmm. or Jack Kirby's personal collection or Todd's personal collection and that thing's a 7-0, but... It says, from the personal collection of Stan Lee. Grade doesn't mean anything in that case. Yeah, yeah. It's so weird we put premiums on these things. and that. But you know what? It's all about what you fucking enjoy. Like, But that's because the rarity factor is the fact that it came from Stan Lee's right. living room. Like, that's the rarity factor. The condition isn't what makes it rare. That's right. I, You know? Condition only matters on something that there's too many of. That is true. That is true. Yeah. It's so it's such a fickle thing and it goes it really when we we dive into it it dives into the psychology realm which we already did that last episode so we won't go into that pool. Yeah. yeah. But uh but yeah it, it it's um it's all an ego thing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean truly like in the sphere of the community aspect it really is an ego thing. Personally, no. There's stuff, and we both have this, and you know this, and I know this, and we don't even know this about each other in specific terms, but we both have stuff in our collections that nobody else knows about. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, I, I, I'm I, pointing this way because all, you know, like some of my original art and a lot of stuff is this way. I, I have a lot of stuff that people just don't know about, and it's not for the fact that I don't want to talk about it. It's just I have so much stuff. I forget sometimes that I haven't told people about, you know, I have a sketchbook in my shelf right here behind my computer with all these amazing sketches from all these artists that I just never talk about. I'll be honest with you. There's stuff that I own that I think is incredibly cool and I don't share it because I don't believe there are that many people that agree and I wouldn't want that post to fall flat and feel like someone doesn't love this thing that I love. So I keep it to myself. Oh, that day when you just spoke about ego, that, I mean, like, that's, that's defending your, that's protecting, like protecting my your ego. ego. Yeah, no, I don't, We're all human. I don't disagree. I mean, like, and I talk about stuff like, like, for example, you know, this book, you know, this artist, Spirits of the Earth, uh, yeah, Charles Bass. Yeah, yeah. I don't talk about this. This is a, you know, a first edition and, you know, it's, I think it's one of my favorite things. It's signed by Charles Vest right there. Mm, you know? That is amazing. Yeah. Oh, I keep I the love microphone. That. Sorry. Gosh, I love that. But yeah, I I, I think this is a, a conversation we're going to continue to have. I don't think this is the end of it. And maybe, we, you know, it, it's it's something for the next episode, too. But um, there is just such an interesting thing about why, you know, you you are my barcode obsessed friend. And I'm not obsessed with them, but I do value them as a comic seller. Uh, they're just not 
a huge difference for my collection. Granted, if I turn around and I look, there's actually a Swamp Thing 37 first appearance of John Constantine on the wall, and that is a 9-8 newsstand. But, you know. Amazing. Just... Well, I mean, what I'm hearing from you is, as a collector, like you said very clearly, mm-hmm. it's about the thing you love. Yeah. Right? And so you want to check that off the list first and foremost, right? Uh, that's the personal goal. And then, but you have uh, an appreciation and respect, and it makes complete sense to you why someone that's after the harder to find version is putting the significance on the newsstand because of all the reasons it's harder to find. So it's like beautiful. It's like actually a beautiful, you understand it, you understand yourself. Yeah. And I understand my friend you. Thank you. Yeah, because I understand like the the desire, the enjoyment of collecting the rarest version of the thing because it just it's more challenging and like you and me are both alike in the way that we really do seek out the challenge and we enjoy it. I mean, there's a huge level of pride that comes from accomplishing something that certain people just give up on because they think it's impossible. Yeah. Yeah, and it it it's just it's and it's and the thing is, it's a badge that you wear to yourself with pride. You also wear it to the rest of the community, but in a more loving way. But I know deep down inside, when you get that nine eight newsstand or that nine eight Mark Jewelers, like you don't give a shit what anybody thinks more than what you think about your accomplishment. The feeling is incredible. Yeah, so. yeah, and that's the that's the important thing. Like if what you're doing in this space is making you happy and doing the harder thing. It's a little more expensive, but it also yields more reward. If that really makes you happy, like then it doesn't really fucking matter. Like I never judge people for what they collect because it's what they collect and it makes them happy. And I love that you're saying that actually, because like, it's also, I mean, I know we're wrapping this up, but like, yeah, the amount of effort it takes to do it is so um, respectable. Uh, this this podcast is going to air later and i i got the grade on this and the book in hand like a cup maybe over a week ago now and i just haven't displayed it or told anybody about it or made a post about it but you know um i've been after the wizard nine eight the wizard number one newsstand in a nine eight yeah. right and it's not like it's the first one i did and it nine eight it i've got like 20 of those things <laughs> it takes a lot you have to buy bring a lot of them into your collection doesn't mean you have to pay an arm and a leg. Sometimes you get lucky. You find one listed that it's not listed. As, you know, you know the game. Yeah. But you have to swing many, many times before you get that right candidate, which makes it so much sweeter to get it done. And so that's something I recently accomplished. And that's a grail accomplishment. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'm giving and him a nice little soft clap. A nice little soft clap. And, and so that was a grail accomplishment. You know, that's one of those things that... Um, if and when the book leaves my collection, the fact that I did it is always, it's there. That can't be negated. I was working towards doing it, you know, and, um, and it's, Dude, it's got this. Yeah. No, I just it's love fucking it. cool, man. That's great. And I got to tell you something really funny. I'll make it really short. It's a piece of you that's rubbed off on me in a major way. And I found myself falling into this manure hole. Which almost sounds disgusting, but you recent and I won't even say the specifics because we're not ready to talk about this little secret that you let me on and onto tactic that you taught me, and I I started trying to put it to use over uh, I think it was yesterday the day before I was like sitting on my phone because I was laying in bed but I didn't want to get out of bed, 
and I started searching for it on eBay. And I'm I'm serious. I spent like 45 minutes and started matching up books like it and doing this like whole thing. And I wasn't able to pinpoint one, but it's it gave me this fucking and I have respect for you. I, I it's not that I didn't, but it added another layer of respect that I have for you onto the way that you hunt, just like you've told me, like, I don't know how you fucking do it, Dave, how you pull these collections out of thin air. And, you know, and what I was doing, I was just like, man, Manu's got eyes that I just, I, I get it. Like I could train myself to have them, but I don't, I can't do both. I can't hunt both ways and put equal time in. Right. And so it just, it fell into that hole. And when we're, when we're not recording anymore, uh, I'll tell you exactly what I was looking for. But, uh, uh, yeah, it was just, it was just really funny. And it, it's like, um, it has to do with newsstands and all that stuff. I love that. Yeah. It's so, it's fun. Yo, dude, I make, I make notes on top of notes about observations I make about specific things that I find. And I compare them with new things that come into the collection. And then, you know, with a certain amount of those comparisons, you're like, oh shit, this is a constant amongst these. And then you know something that other people don't. Yeah, when you're dealing with manufactured products and and stuff that's not happenstance, you know, mm-hmm. you can't. There's a formula. It's yeah. it, it's research. It's whatever you want to call it. So, yeah, it's fantastic. Uh, but yeah, uh, I really enjoyed this discussion. I, I don't know if you I have anything else this. you want to say. No, I agree with you. This is going to be continued. This is like a this is an evergreen conversation. This is something mm-hmm. that flows through us. What the hell is yeah, that? Yeah, but it's also in the name. It's in the name it's of the also podcast. In the yeah, this is the, we're about this, right? And and this is the kind of thing that new friends will always ask us about. We'll always have a reason to sort of gush over our collecting and the variety of ways we do it and the whys behind it. Yeah, I I I think we will be having right, like you said, this conversation forever with people, with ourselves, with each other, whatever. Um, yeah, I really enjoyed this and I hope this turns out to be a good episode. I hope people, uh, you know, find, come back to this podcast after last week and say, all right, I'm ready for a little comic content and they get their fix of comic content. And, uh, that being said, friends, we have an Instagram that Instagram is, it came from the newsstand and we use that to just post when we have the new episodes that come out, but we want to hear from you. So drop us a question there. Post it in the thumbnail for the show. Send us a DM. But ask us a question. We want to start taking questions from y'all and answering them on the podcast in its own maybe separate segment or possibly that gives us an entire conversation. And you can find that at It Came From The Newsstand on Instagram. If you're not on Instagram, then just, uh, I don't know, fucking mail me a question. P.O. Box 772459899999. Heck of nines. But no, yeah, I'd love to hear the questions that uh, some of our friends have, and I'd love to address them. I think I think that's amazing. And wherever you can find a place to drop that question so that we'll see it, I would love for you to do that. Because I want to reference it and speak about it and say hello to you while we're recording. Yeah, we, we started this podcast off literally the idea for this podcast came during a live stream on Instagram with me and you and a bunch of our friends in the chat. So Mm -hmm. we might as well start involving people uh, with that. Manu, 
Where can they find both of us individually? Well, if you're looking for Dave, you can find him on his YouTube channel, West Coast Avengers. And if you're looking for me, you can find me on Instagram at the 9.9 Newsstand. And Dave's already mentioned that the podcast has its own page on Instagram, same name as the podcast. We'd love to see you there, too. Yes, we would. And this has been Lines and Numbers. It came from the newsstand. Extra, extra, read all about it. Spider-Man's got a black suit. Maybe we may, you know, maybe we may. Yeah, call me at...